Please remain standing for this morning's scripture, which will be continued from last week in the 15th chapter of the Gospel according to Luke, starting in verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, his father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is now found. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. He's alive. He's alive. My son, he's alive. Last Christmas, we had friends from home who were in from recently visiting a son. And as they walked into the house, the mother said, he's alive. He's alive. My son, he's alive. She had just returned with her husband from visiting her 42 year old son who had fallen with a massive heart attack two weeks before. Many things went well. He was discovered by a nurse who worked in a hospital and then a doctor who could help care for him. An ambulance came quickly and he was rushed to a hospital that has state-of-the-art cardiothoracic procedures and he survived. The doctors would later say if any of those steps did not happen, he would not have survived. He's alive, he's alive, my son, he's alive, she kept saying. With smiles and hugs and kisses, we even got champagne out of the fridge. And with great wit and a sharp smile, she began to explain her newfound standard that she held for all her children. He has a pulse, she says. He has a pulse. After suffering this severe and almost tragic Event, she had learned a new way to look upon her children. As I read the story this week, which we will focus on the older brother, I thought it's worth noting, given the tragedies that our community has suffered within the last two weeks, this unique perspective that the father has when his son, whom he thought was dead, returns home. He celebrates over them. Unfortunately, sometimes it requires a tragedy for us to have this type of perspective where we rejoice in those we love only because they are alive. As we turn to the orphan brother or the orphan thinking, as we like to refer to it when we talk about identity and sonship, the older brother tendencies, as I like to say, let me apologize in advance I feel like the bad cop coming in in a good cop, bad cop routine. And this week I'll help us look at what for me is often a convicting look at the role and habits of the older brother. 
the orphan thinking, when we are not living into our identity as beloved sons and daughters of God, but living as if, David said, we don't have a home and we don't have a loving father. But fear not. Good cop David McNitsky will be back next week with plenty of good, encouraging news. And I'll go back to my perch back here. But before that happens, I think there's some very helpful, unfortunately sometimes painful, things for us to look at this morning. But let me assure you this is not to be used as a lens with which to judge ourselves or even others, but rather a mirror through which God can help shed the light of his love on some of the hurting and dark places in our lives. A litmus test, if you will, of ways that we can be out of line with God's love, which can, as we know, God's loving grace, welcome us back gently in restoration and forgiveness. So that being said, let's jump into what's going on with our older brother, orphan thinking this morning. The older brother in this parable is often the classic example of orphan thinking throughout scripture because he plays the role so well. So what does this entail? Well, we see the striving. We see it in his words. I've slaved for you all these many years, working, not even receiving a small gift to celebrate with my friends. The son, regardless of the love of the father, is not receiving it. And this is what I want to highlight for us this morning. Even in the presence of a loving father, we can have things that are missed. What we'll be examining is what is actually received, not what is given. As we know in relationships, we can seek to give things and not have them understood or received. Another point that's relevant to look at is this phrase, orphan thinking. We do not mean this to belittle orphans or even miss misjudge their role as we know the heart of the father for the his love for the lost think of james what is true religion but to care for orphans and widows we know that there is a sweet sweet place in the heart of the father for those and is this just literal orphans those that grow up without parents no as our research and experience exposes this is a reality even with physically absent fathers or physically present fathers who are emotionally absent. And furthermore, Paul highlights this reality that we, because of our sin, are all separated from God and therefore orphans. But fear not, Paul reminds us that God does not leave us orphaned. So we need not fear looking at these situations. Furthermore, Our status as beloved children of God is something that is a spiritual reality. By the love and grace through faith given by God to us through his son Jesus Christ. But as we know in all things, even though they are true and real, we need to learn to live into them. In this same way, we can live into orphan thinking even though we are beloved children of God. So with all these disclaimers... And my fears and concerns about offending you, let's look at this older brother in our story this morning. He strives, he slaves away, he works extremely hard. Jack Frost, in his book, From Slavery to Sonship, highlights the many markers that the orphan thinking 
or older brother goes through in this process. First of all, he drifts away from the father's house because of a negative attitude of self-love, jealousy, or even judgmentalism, and an emotional and spiritual distance is immediately created between him and his father. The second step in the cycle takes place when the person tries to regain the intimacy that has been lost by aggressively striving to gain the acceptance and approval of others. The third step is then competition. The older brother must become the best, better than anyone else, in order to receive his father's love. And when the comparison to others comes up short, as it eventually will, the inevitable result is envy, the fourth step in this vicious cycle. Now, the real problem comes when we believe that to truly be accepted or important in life, we must be the one to earn it ourselves. If we aren't able to achieve what we believe we must, we may begin to judge ourselves, the fifth step. And finally, because of the guilt that we feel for coming up short, we put on a cloak of defensiveness and judgmentalism, and the need to be right becomes more important than even fostering healthy relationships. You see, most older brothers are right. They are usually the most loyal, hardest working, best performers in an environment. But often they would rather prove their rightness than promote intimate relationships. It is helpful to note that whatever we feel we have to do to feel valued by God, others will have to do to feel valued by us. So where does this orphan thinking come from? What is it the result of? Well, just as the labels suggest, it comes from our connection, as we said, the love we receive as a child, or more specifically, the love that we feel we do not receive. But this love is unfortunately focused mainly on fathers. You'll notice in the parable this morning, there's no mention of the mother. I didn't notice that in this parable as many times I'd read it until this week in studying for this morning. The mother's never mentioned and I never thought about it. You see, the father has such an effect on our identity, on our love, our acceptance, that we don't even think of the role of the mother. As one of my friends puts it, you always knew that you, my, I always knew that my mom was proud of me. But when my dad was proud of me, I knew I had done something very, very special. Mark Stibbe highlights this. An orphan himself, who writes extensively on the subject of identity and orphan thinking, from the book, I Am Your Father, he highlights the reality that fathers are the ones who give honor to their children. If we think of fathers who speak this unconditional love over their children, you are wonderful, you are priceless, you are beautiful, cherished, and loved. You think of someone who is loved unconditionally, this unconditional affirmation, which almost seems foreign in the context of our society, our world, and especially our driven environment that we come from. This unconditional affirmation sounds much like my friend's newfound standard for her children. They have a pulse. He has a pulse. 
He's alive, he's alive, my son, he's alive. There's astonishing strength in the Father's words of approval. And we see this deeply rooting in those we know we have approval from. Stibby writes, a good dad makes his children feel secure. But even more important than provision and material security is emotional security. Good dads give a sense of safety and assurance to their children's hearts. If a child is certain that his father loves him, he will grow up sure of himself and able to face all the challenges that life has. Stibby writes, a true father is his child's greatest cheerleader. But what of this struggle with orphan thinking? What of these ways that we come in and out of this identity as being a beloved child? How can we recognize this? Well, Stibby highlights two main factors, independence and striving. Independence, he says, is a sign of the orphan heart condition. How easy is it to develop a performance mindset which is based on striving rather than resting, Stibby writes. Over the years, I've come to the realization that much of this ultimately drives from father loss, he says. From the honor deficit left by the absence of loving father or from the sense of not measuring up generated by the achievement-driven father. He continues on, writing that when we lack the unconditional affirmation and affection of a good father, we begin to believe the lie that we have to earn this through tireless effort. Now, hard work in and of itself is not bad, and Stibby is quick to highlight this to us. Nor is the desire to succeed a negative thing. But it is not healthy to drive ourselves to the point of exhaustion in order to win the approval that we never had from an honor-giving father. This leads to burnout and robs us of authentic relationship with others. In the end, it can even rob us of life itself. It's relevant to note throughout history the many people who we celebrate as heroes and those to follow who have suffered from absent fathers. Alexander the Great, Julius Caesar, Charles V, Louis XIV, George Washington, Napoleon, Queen Victoria, all suffered from absent fathers. Stibby goes on to highlight some of the difficulties of living with such orphan-thinking parents. In the reality that Jack Frost highlights, we cannot give what we have not yet received ourselves. They pass on this hard work, driven nature, and expectation to have to earn it all. So where is the hope in this message? The encouraging words that I have for you this morning is that God does not live us, leave us as orphans. God says, I have given you the ministry of reconciliation, and it is my desire to reconcile all things to myself through my son, Jesus Christ. It is by grace and through faith that we have been saved. 
that we come in to know that unconditional love and acceptance and affirmation where Jesus carries our wounds, our very sins on the cross and remedies us of any and all alienation from our Lord, from our loving Father. We hear the same words spoken over us that Jesus heard in the Jordan River. This is my beloved son or daughter with whom I am well pleased. This is the unconditional affirmation that we have, that we are granted by the grace and love that we receive through Jesus Christ. This is the affirmation and the assurance of these things. But these symptoms we can use as a test to see when we stray from this, when we're out of our identity as sons and daughters. I like to stop or even invite my friends to point these out when I am in them, but when I notice them, I can stop and say, where do I not feel safe? Where do I not feel that I am a beloved child of God? And what am I afraid of? And reminding myself of the love and forgiveness and care and provision that God provides for us. As David said, that we have a place, we have a home, we are loved and loved unconditionally. I quickly calm down and can re-enter that state as a beloved child. So what do we do with this information? Well, Jesus said he does not leave us as orphans. He heals the brokenhearted. He calls us to the ministry of reconciliation. We cannot give what we have not received, but as we receive this unconditional love of the Father, we are able to share it with those around us and mend up the brokenhearted and heal the wounded and introduce the orphan to the love of the Father and restore them to the life of a beloved son. One of the things I struggled with with this passage this week is why the younger son gets the feast and the older son does not. One of my friends who has been through extensive amounts of therapy discussed this extensively with his therapist this week. And his therapist said, that's easy. The father in the story is not God himself. As I thought of that, I had difficulty because I always thought of God as the father in that story. And then God reminded me that he kills the fatted calf for each one of us. On the cross, he hung his own son for us, the lamb that was slain, and celebrates us and welcomes us all into his heavenly banquet. So while the good son in the story is not able to enter into the festival or the celebration, remember that he is invited just as all of us are invited. And I encourage you to be mindful of this celebration and this invitation to it, to which our loving Father says, I have killed the fatted calf for each one of you, and I invite you in. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, let us live out of a sense of your unconditional grace for us, of those standards 
of loving and receiving that love and giving it to those around us just because they have a pulse. Father, we ask that you would let all striving cease, that you would help us from this day on to receive your love and love those around us in the same way. Father, we bless you that we can do nothing to earn your love or change it in any way. May our lives flow out of a reality of receiving and knowing this love intimately. We pray all these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.